0: There's never a good time. So it is better to get out there than be perfect. And that's a problem for most people because once you're out there, you feel it's a reflection on yourself. So, of course, you do not want to mess up. Just keep going. Look at your business like a child. Would you ever give up on it? No, you wouldn't. Are they going to scream all night, maybe for months on end? Yes, they are. Accept it.
1: Hello and welcome to episode six to all our loyal fans and passionate listeners. We are delighted to bring you the very awesome co-founder of the uh, first marketplace of its kind, NotOnTheHighStreet.com. So if you're listening in America and you're all like, well, you know, Etsy, et cetera, et cetera, Etsy was founded about six to nine months after NotOnTheHighStreet.com. So today you're going to hear from an actual marketplace pioneer, the place to pick up awesome inspirational and bespoke gifts and rich tell us a little bit about our guest today
2: yeah so today we have holly tucker who is super interesting very very enthusiastic Um, and we go into really kind of the founding of the business what she was up to beforehand you know going through her 20s starting the business in her late 20s from her kitchen table and really just quite an inspirational story from uh but the highs and lows they're they're a tech business um, but they had issues with their first website but you know everybody does and they get over it
1: so Holly, to kick off, we'd like to do a quick fire round. So if you don't mind, we're going to get straight into it. No problem at all. Awesome. Um, giant chains or independent boutiques?
0: Of course, independent boutiques.
1: Wow, amazing. But you could have you could have just for the first time ever just gone completely <laughs> the other way and been like, I'm about to launch an Ikea competitor. Don't
0: think that would be good for the, uh, the, the brand. Yes, no. good
1: point. Good point. Uh, so that was possibly too easy, of course. So real life markets or online marketplaces? Oh, So I have thought about some of the questions. Oh,
0: you have. Real life, I suppose. If I had to choose, meeting people uh, has been an amazing thing. We'll talk probably more later about it. My new venture, Holly & Co, where actually I get to meet people for the first time in a decade. Um, I was stuck in a box um, running not on the high street. In a prison cell, it sounds like when you say that. No, no, I don't mean it that way. But it's been a a wonderful thing to actually meet humans. Yeah, Okay. So get out the building. Yes, get out the building.
1: Fair. Um, Holland or the UK?
0: Oh, you have done your research, haven't you? I am um, a professional.
1: Do not let this demeanour, yes. you know, trick you.
0: Yes, I would say the UK, the UK. It's, um, Holland has the most unbelievable creativity about it. But there's something about the UK that's very real. And, you know, I've, I've created all my connections here. So um, I'd say the UK. Fair.
1: Also, you know, we're a better imperialist invading country than the Netherlands, right? Well, yeah. we, we've yeah. still got more. <laughs>
0: Yeah that that's really what it was about yeah
1: <laughs> um who's your favorite artist
0: oh gosh i would say i have a few Um, OK. You don't have to have one. Well, no, but I have a few. And actually, they're sort of pretty unknown.
1: Well, that is even better because maybe you can give them some publicity and they don't have to wait till they're dead to get rich.
0: Yeah. And it's actually not just classic art. So, obviously, my whole life is about small business. So, recently, I just bought two suffragette-influenced hangings. And they are from an amazing uh, girl called Alice Gabs. And she is... How do you
1: spell her surname? G-A-P-S?
0: G-A-B-S, yes, and she's um, just this wonderful, quiet, unassuming artist and what she's created now hang um, in my home these two enormous six foot by six foot, two of them, flags with universal tolerance and kindness and virtue written on them and she's sewn them by hand um, and they're they're just works of art.
1: Awesome, that's a very good shout out for her. Well, on this note, favourite fashion designer?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, Do you have one?
1: Are you into fashion?
0: I am into my fashion, actually. But I not... made a
1: broad assumption that you would just be into art, design, fashion, basically yeah. anything creative and interesting.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's right. I'm very much starting to love shopping in Barcelona, in Amsterdam, um, just small little boutiques. And that's where most of my clothing comes from, is actually independent boutiques. So um, there's a company called Amateur in Amsterdam where now I shop from. But also the likes of Stella McCartney on very very special occasions. Um, but my whole thing is to mix and match, so it's it's high street mi- mixed with independent boutiques. Favorite film? Uh, a mixture, I suppose. Star Wars. As my son wants to convert to Jediism. Right. Uh he's thirteen. And something like just watch Lion for the first time. Oh,
1: I keep putting it off because I just I'm really nervous to watch it. I put it. it
0: off for years. Years and years. And then I watched it three times back to back. So it was it was properly wonderful. But I I, I just can't do the whole family animal being pulled apart thing. So mm. I just put it off for a good three, four years, but I did it. And yeah. then I watched it back to back.
1: Cats or dogs, or indeed lions.
0: Well, I have a Border Terrier, so um, Mr Mudley, shout out for the dogs.
1: <laughs> Rich, you want to give a shout out to your dog? No. Cool. Good story. <laughs> Thank you for being so engaging, Rich. Anyway, on to the main event, the story of Holly Tucker. Uh, so where's it all start? What drove you to become an entrepreneur? So you've got five minutes to tell us about your upbringing up until you went to publicist. So the abridged version of the... Even, Little Holly. E- yeah, even back then, award-winning Holly. So obviously, like, very ambitious and almost sounds like teacher's pet. Would that be fair?
0: Mm. Yes and no. I knew what was good for me. So I was I was just I suppose I was just very, very much in a hurry. My nickname was Hurricane Holly. And I just wanted to become grown up. So driving for me having children for me at the age of like 10 was uh, a path that I wanted to have right this second. And so mobile phones, when they came along, I had to get the first mobile phone. I had to get a job at 13. And so my first work, proper work, I used to set up little companies all the time from my school's first tuck shop where I would make a profit and you know drive it back into the tuck shop. Lots more skips or Monster Munch would be on sale to the tiny little companies when I was a kid. I'd set up travel agents for my parents and um, all this sort of thing. So I always had this idea of work. My first proper job was um, cleaning a pub. My dad would drive me at the age of 13 to a, now I look back, totally dodgy pub where i would clean the pub he would um sit in the car um in the car park at i think it was about 6 a.m every saturday and sunday morning so you know I what, don't... he would just
1: sit in the car and what, wait for you yeah, for hours
0: wait, yeah wait for me for an hour and a half i'm not saying i wouldn't do this for harry i, I would be hard pushed to be doing this for harry <laughs> um but he did that that
1: is a really like that's impressive
0: yeah yeah he's a he's a good man like that mm. and so he um Cleaning the pubs um, went on to, at the age of 15 um, and 16, I got a a summer job at at Publicis, actually, and I worked all summer. So while everyone else was out in the sun, in the parks, having a cheeky beer, I was going up to Baker Street every day. So I did that for all of my summer holiday when I was um, 15, 16, and then at, I uh, maybe it wasn't even 14, but it was the day that I got my A level results. My mum drove me up in my Peugeot 205, my sis in the back.
1: At least you drove up in a French car. Yeah. <laughs> to the French company with a Dutch-inspired <laughs> Brit starting to work for the first time.
0: Well, I never thought of that, but you're right. I actually, yes. Yeah. So we, um, they parked around the corner, and I went up in the, this is the morning. My A-level results. I had an interview with the chief exec. i had been working there now for three years, all summer. So I was known, and I basically asked for a job, and this was an interview, and I got a job as the junior, junior, junior account executive, probably a.k.a. tea maker, Mm. and then um, had to dart back into the car with mum, drive back to school, get my A-level results, uh, which ironically were a couple of A's uh, in art and creative design and technology and an E in business studies. Hmm. Um, uh, thank you, Mr Perkins. I guess um, that's where your
1: co-founder comes in and uh, useful on occasion. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, no, it was uh, more Mr Perkins just needed to um, maybe engage the class. But the dyslexia didn't help Um but it was it was the fact that um, at 17, I started work. I was in a big advertising agency. I was the youngest, obviously, by miles. Advertising had just come out of the 80s. And um, so it was quite, it was getting serious, but still a bit of fun was happening. And I always remember having my 18th birthday in the office. Um, and that just seemed completely normal. So, you know, very much in a hurry. So by the age of 18, I am now fully um, in an office environment working long and hard I was the one that was picking up every expense I was the one on pitch days staying till three in the morning being there at six so from a very young age I understood what super hard work was and and yeah haven't really looked back
1: it's now 1995 not literally obviously Um, and at this point not on the high street is still 11 years away can you take us up to um, that professional part of your life? So you started not on the high street at 29, I believe.
0: Mm. So
1: what happened between 18 and 29?
0: Yeah, I worked. So when we say professional life, I basically have worked since I was 18. Mm. So, well, since you were 13. Well, since I was 13. But professionally, as a, I had a contract, for instance, was when I was 18 years old. So um, through publicists, I rose up the ranks. I had... Amazing women around me. We were called Perfume Corner. My accounts were L'Oreal, the Prestige and collections, which is all the Ralph Lauren and Casherelle fragrances. I worked on uh, Renault for a bit, Hovis on it for a bit, and at eighteen, I was very, very hungry. As I said, I was the tea maker, absolutely, actually wine bringer, because it was tea all day and then wine. It's probably because I uh, knew that
1: you knew how to clean alcohol off surfaces, etc. So. Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, I was well. Well trained, so yes, and 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 wine o'clock at lunchtime was still in existence um on a Friday and maybe not coming back to the office. So I had a very, very quick understanding of what it took to manage people. Um I was always dealing with creatives and I was account handler, obviously a very junior one, and rose up the ranks, but I always had that ability to well, I was being trained to understand what the client wanted, uh, massive French clients such as um, Prestige and Collections or L'Oreal, and then trying to drive a creative outcome and dealing with creatives. So I was sort of the telephone line. You know, in those days, it was very, very different. You know, you would have a pack of fags um, to have any conversation, you know, smoking, drinking. It was an amazing insight into this world. I don't think ever anyone will experience ever again now.
2: Just watch Mad Men. I mean not that. Oh yeah, well,
0: I mean yeah, exactly, exactly. We were coming out of that era, but it really was there. I was taught how to manage people who were older than me. So remember now people from uni were graduating and getting a job and I became their boss. So that's quite an interesting um, situation to be in. And by the age of about 21-ish, I had risen through the ranks and I was now a account manager, one of the youngest in London, and we were dealing with big accounts. And, um, and so it was a, a great insight into what my skills were. I wasn't necessarily comfortable at that point in time. Um, the dyslexia definitely held me back. But then obviously as all to say, you know, I was very good at communication and the creative output. From that point on, I was headhunted to go to a dot com. Oh no, I wasn't. I went to Condé Nast. Um, you
1: went to Bride's Magazine, I, then you joined Coolwhite.com. Thank white. you com. very much. That's okay. My goodness. Do um, not worry. Oh gosh. It's creepy, huh?
0: It's so creepy. Yeah, this I is know. actually quite an experience. Shall, um, I
1: just, shall I just interview Dan and then? Yeah, yeah. About, that
0: would really, yeah. really help. Actually, <laughs> I haven't actually thought about any of this. Do in you want so to go through the highs long. and lows of
1: not on the high street? I'll yeah. just, I'll just remind you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I went to Bride's Magazine, and had an amazing few years there, where I understood what publishing was to start with, but also what Condé Nast was like. Were you married at the time, sorry? I, um, you really have done your research. Yes, I, um, I was married actually to my childhood sweetheart, and so I was pretty young. As I say, I was in a hurry. Yep. And so I was. I had a mortgage. Uh, I had already worked for many many years. I was married. I was at Condé Nast. I was getting into the lifts with people with really really good shoes, and my shoes weren't so great. But I worked really hard. So I would double their targets um, with my bad shoes. As time went on. And I realised that maybe my environment is for people with also not so great shoes and were concentrating on that hard work. And I was at that point headhunted to dot com and dot com was in the bubble and it was um, to do with weddings and to put weddings online. Obviously, it's archaic now when you look at it, but it was a really good little company. I then went through some difficult times in my life. I unfortunately had to go through a divorce. Um, I nearly lost my home, got diagnosed with a brain tumour. And this was all at the age of about 22, 23. So I'm pretty young still. So I'd packed in a You've lot. Got more
1: life experience than most 50-year-olds by that point.
0: I, I do like... I, I always say that I've had about three or four lives. Mm. Um, so... I packed that all into sort of pre twenty two, twenty three. And at that point in time I decided I, well, I had to get myself straight again back onto the Holly course. So I managed to keep my home. I met somebody called Frank, who now we're, we're, we're not married, but he's my boyfriend, but I can't dump him because we've had a kid and we're very much in love after 15 years. But at that point in time, my angel from above Frank came along and helped restore Holly again. And through that point, I started freelancing for publishers. So when they had an issue on a magazine, I could jump thought that wouldn't really work but actually I got two and a half years back-to-back work never a holiday and so I it allowed me to heal I knew this wasn't what I was destined for though it's
1: funny though because you seem like the type of person who I can actually see how two and a half years of straight work is more relaxing than a holiday to you
0: uh yes yes it is yes so I'm I'm um I'm getting far better at it now, but I've had to turn 40 to get better at it. Mm. The in the hurry bit, I'm still very much in a hurry, but I know what happens when you're in a hurry. You've got to have, if you're going to have all those highs, you're going to have equally those lows. So um, at that point in time, I decided that that creativity, I had that sort of sliding doors moment when I was going to go to university and study art or I was going to get a job in advertising coming out of the 80s. And I chose the advertising, my university of life. And so when I look back at what happened at that point where Holly was getting healthier, I wanted to be creative again. And I started a company where I was just making and creating from my kitchen table, Um, my one bedroom kitchen table, but it was my kitchen table from Ikea. It's about half the size of this desk. And I was um, working with plants and I was working to create weird and wonderful things with plants. And that's
1: your local fair?
0: Well, no, that was the beginning of your local fair because what I did is I ended up creating a wreath okay. and this wreath was a different wreath. It was made out of vegetables and I thought, well, you know, um, this is a beautiful wreath. Where am I going to sell it? And from there, I was living in Chiswick in the time. I thought, right, well, I'll need to sell it at the Chiswick Christmas Fair. Of course, there will be one because... Um, so
1: Mortlake Cemetery would have been a great place to go well, for your <laughs> wreath around the corner.
0: Not my vegetable wreath. Oh,
1: okay. uh, this was a very cool vegetable wreath. Thank cool. you. Cool, OK, My um, bad
0: with artichokes. So I wanted to sell my wreaths. I knew that there would be a fair and um, Chiswick should have a Christmas fair. And I found out that it didn't. So what I thought was, well, as I'm freelancing with my big phone that I had at the time, at lunchtime I can get on that phone and maybe I could create the first Chiswick Christmas Fair because then I could have the best trestle table for my wreaths. Mm. So that's what I did. I created this fair, 200 stalls, advertised it because I obviously knew advertising and publishing, got it into all of the magazines, put on this event and it was so successful and I had the best stall with my wreaths and everything and had Frank, my mum, dad, sis, everybody working on it, pulling it together and within about Three hours, I couldn't stand the wreaths. I didn't I knew I didn't want to do wreaths. But actually, what I'd brought together, this electricity I'd brought together, where discerning customers were meeting, hand-picked small businesses was electric Mm. so by about five o'clock when everything was packing down I turned around to my father and said you know what I'm not I'm not doing this company anymore I'm going to actually quit my whole freelance career as well I'm going to start these fairs where I bring together small businesses and customers Um,
1: and you can wait in the car
0: you know, he helped deliver all my blinking wreaths. So we, I had, like, all these orders for these, 50 orders for wreaths. And so I made all these blinking wreaths and got them out to the, you know, to everyone on Chris, by Christmas and things. And then that was the beginning of my first startup, which was a company called Your Local Fair.
1: Hey, guys, this is Luke here, co-founder of Contour Space sorry to interrupt this awesome podcast but i just wanted to tell you a bit more about us we're a startup ourselves helping awesome companies find amazing office spaces from start to finish whether you're looking for a couple of desks to your next big hq we take care of the whole process from start to finish and our service is completely free check us out on contour.space OK, so 2003, you started your local fair. I'm giving you the dates now, just so you know, as a Thank fact. Thank you very much. 2006, you started Not On The High Thank Street. Thank you, yes. So you ran your local fair, presumably, for three years. Is that the fact?
0: That's the fact, yeah. yeah. I ran your local fair, putting on events in the Chelsea Christmas Fair, the Hampstead Children's Fair, you know, and, and, and I, I suppose I did about 12, 15 events. And they were the most exhausting things I've ever done in my life because... Not only were you, I was handpicking every single business, making sure that actually all of the businesses worked as a collective together under one roof. I was just one person. But And also, I already knew that I wanted to treat these businesses not just as a trestle, table, stallholder. So everyone got media packs because I was from the world of publishing. And so everyone got beautiful media packs and everybody got um, very well treated. And so actually, every time a, a participant in the fairs came, they felt already that I was taking it very seriously and that they were very serious to me. I put on these events, obviously you can't help Johnny's blinking football match being on the Saturday or you can't help it piss with rain. And so we had these issues. Um, We say we, I had these issues and it slowly became very apparent that um, town halls and the beacon that they are was not what was deserving the connection that I was witnessing between creative small businesses and customers. I was still very much with Frank and we decided that we were going to start a family brilliantly no maternity leave of course because your local fair didn't have necessarily a great maternity policy and I was about I was doing my last fair in the December 2005 I had my Harry in the January and at that point in time, probably six weeks in, um, I had to start freelancing again to pay the mortgage. Frank was in the police, and so the income coming in was relatively small. So I was freelancing very, very quickly with Harry, literally on me as I was um, on the phone. And at that point in time, I knew that this definitely wasn't my future. I also knew that the way that your local fare was set up wasn't my future. So at that point in time, my sister and I I always remember we're having a conversation while defrosting something for Harry. She said, well, this idea that you've got that uh, the new town hall is the Internet. And I knew I needed to work with somebody. How about you give, um, wasn't her name Sophie? And you give um, Sophie a bell. And so I popped her an email literally asking her if she would be interested in an idea. And actually that email had the word, it wasn't called this at the point in time, everything that's not on the high street. And I sent it out not knowing what I was going to get in, in return. And 24 hours later, Sophie was just absolutely yes. Loved to work with you. What was Sophie's background?
1: like? What, like how well, did you guys meet? In, I mean, you just well, described as a friend of a friend. Sorry,
0: sorry, I, I forgot that part. Yeah. She was actually my boss at Publicis. Oh, right. So she was part of Perfume Corner and she worked on different accounts, but she was very much part of my upbringing and is a wonderful lady. And we just... Is what I say now to small businesses that I mentor. If you can have a professional upbringing in your friendship... And actually then you go on to work together. I've always find that that actually can really, really help because you always already know your yings and yangs. You already know the difference and how you're going to actually connect. Mm. So I knew that she would be a wonderful compliment to me and I would be a great compliment to her. She's older than me, but age is nothing for me. But I just knew that we would connect and work well together. So... Wrote that email. 24 hours later, it was a um, resounding yes. And that was in 2005. We got onto both of our kitchen tables at that point in time. I had a little one, so I would drive my car over like a neurotic mum. The sterilisers, the prams, the play pens. And I would sit in her kitchen with all my paraphernalia keep feeding Harry, putting toys in there while we built the company and she would come to mind similarly. And during 2005, we were building what was the foundation of Not on the High Street. And it was a very interesting period of time. Zero people to copy not such a thing as the marketplace. Amazon and eBay were the only two things that you had out there. Commission-based um, selling, one basket, not invented. We worked, hadn't worked in retail. We hadn't worked in uh, tech. So you can imagine this was a phenomenal thing to take on. And it was very quickly that in January 2006, we got our first offices, And it was um, this tiny little place above a cab rank. Uh, My first deal that I was very proud of is I got double the space for um, what they were saying was one space. I then realized that the entire building was empty. So it was not necessarily the best deal. And uh, 2006, we moved into these offices to begin the journey.
2: So if if neither of you had any background in tech and your, your business is essentially a website, how did you first get that up and running?
0: Badly. We got it up and running badly. The thing was, is that we had the dream. We knew that we could do it. We knew it was needed. We knew it was required. So whatever came out um, in front of us, we just rode through it. So we had incredibly limited budgets. Um, We got a £20,000 HSBC loan. Um, Both our parents put a little bit of money in. Frank had some savings that he had worked for all his life, um, and he kindly gave those to me. So we had this small pocket of money. And so we just went to a web company that we'd heard and been recommended, briefed them. They were miles away, hoped and prayed that it was going to go okay. We worked on the fact that we were having to sell small businesses. Basically, we had to sell them online. Mm. They didn't even know understand online selling. So it wasn't actually selling not on the high street. It was saying, would you like to sell your products that aren't being photographed on a bed and you're just shoving it on eBay and people are going to bid? Actually, this is, think of magazines. Think of, you know, we're going to do this online. And so we were very much partaking in the trying to bring together a retail business and a brand that would capture quite a very new concept, not only to the small businesses, but to the consumers. Meanwhile, tech company working away, and what we didn't realise is two things. One, what beta meant and that we wish we had. So what we did, because we understood press, was we created a microsite with a countdown. And then we told everybody about it and we had good contacts so we understood how to do press so we had a very senior press person working on a freelance basis and we were going out there and you know on launch day we had the um, express we had the front page of the business section of the mail we had daily candy we had everybody on it and so we had this silly countdown that was telling everybody, you know, sign up, sign up. I'll never forget that stress. So we had no CMS, for instance, no ability to upload any product except for an Excel spreadsheet. And if you had a full stop in there, the whole thing would dump. And as we were getting to launch day, the web company came along and said, um, yeah, um, everything's going well, except we haven't managed to crack the basket.
2: Oh, no. Right?
0: And so we're launching and we're a retailer with no ability to sell a single product, so as women um would do, we just thought on our feet and turned that way, turned it around and called it a preview. <laughs> and so for That's all brilliant. the, we nearly um, on the first day we had fourteen thousand unique visitors to the site. You know, first day of launch with no basket and no checkout, selling it to all small businesses. As you can imagine this is going to be the next thing. Blah blah blah. It was Etsy around at this time as well? They launched. Six months after us, actually, in the U.S., so we heard about this thing called Etsy coming along, but it was a it was a very very strenuous period of time. Uh, The first year of our lives, we worked every weekend and every night, and you know my son was three months old when we, you know, started this business, and it was a phenomenally difficult period of time. We launched though um, soon enough. We found a way to relaunch the site two weeks later. Um, we... How many people did you have working for you at this point? Well, at this point, we had about 20 people, um, but full time, four. The 20 people were the cleaner who happens to walk past. And I say, do you have a laptop? You need to just sit there and you need to, to every friend, family, godparent, goddaughter, anything that we knew, anyone we knew came in at that point in time. Just think about this marketplace
1: business, there's so many parts. They can't be done by two people.
0: No, no, it can't. It's not one of those businesses. But we did not have the tech. I mean, these days, I feel that you can definitely run a marketplace in a different way. But at the beginning, you are also educating everybody, consumer and small business. So it was a very, very unique experience, one that I don't think many people had because there weren't many marketplaces launching at this period of time to understand, I suppose, what the key fundamental parts of a marketplace are.
1: Where did you get your legal advice from? If you are pioneering in a space like that, working with so many independent sellers... I had a question, which was, you know, how are you ever going to convince them creatively to do this? But obviously your background with media packs, et cetera, really makes me understand how you'd overcome that hurdle. But then all the legalities, like, you know, Rich asked about the website, like those two things... Are just as complex as every other part, yeah. and every single one of those things is so major to causing the business not to work. It's quite incredible we managed to make them all work. Yeah,
0: there's some many, many um, facets to it. We were lucky to have family. Sophie's sister was a lawyer. Okay. My father was a chartered accountant and uh, was a financial director at GE for 25 years. Mm. So there he was trying to retire, and uh, First he had mistake. started. Not uh, under your his, watch. Yeah, well, that's that's it. He's still. Keeps trying to retire now, but he was able to. He started a business and tried to retire uh, with small clients and not on the high street. Was one of his small clients. He ended up becoming the financial director for seven years, uh, working more than full time as you can imagine. Through oh, the VC retirement, anyone's it ever It was achieved. indeed yes. And now he's uh, the financial director of Holly and Co as well. So he's 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 trying still, but uh, he's, uh, he turned seventy last year. So
1: I can imagine you being persuasive. So not on the high street, I'd say,
2: is quite well known. For- for personalisation, it's the yes. place I always go to if I want to buy a personalised gift.
1: Yes, was it was it like that to begin with? Is that were those earrings you got me are from. Yes, yeah. they're <laughs> lovely. Thank you.
0: No, it was one of those moments where um, you're working crazy hours and you're growing not right at the beginning, but when we hit our first Christmas, uh, ironically, when we'd run out of all money and the salaries were being paid on checkbooks from our credit cards. That's when we were growing at about a a billion percent at that point in time because we'd hardly um, sold a thing. And the personalization came through when now having some sort of traction that you were looking at what people were buying and we had a few little bits and it was one of those desorica moments you know the following year I was like you know what these 10 bestsellers um they all have this common denominator what if we had a personalised um department you know not like snappy snaps which was the only thing that you could personalise anything on you know put your face on a t-shirt I'm reckoning it might do well and you know the rest is history it was that
1: your aha moment? Absolutely, lies in that's the unique defining moment that really helped propel you. It was. You.
0: Um, our strap line to begin with is something now that we're more finding ourselves a decade or we're in our 13th year now coming through, is that um, the strap line was making the hard to find ridiculously easy it was too mature as a strap line to begin with because no one even understood what we were and then we went into something like you know a thousand unique shops one basket as a strap line because again this technology just people didn't understand it and now we're moving much more back into that where people are coming not only just for a gift but for themselves and coming through that it's not just personalization that sells but yes it was in that point in time the what we did to redefine personalization but ultimately what's behind personalization is It's the art of gift giving. I know you so well. And I can show this because I've had a small business make something, create something. It then has something about you within the product. And then you and I bond over the fact that this is how I'm feeling about you. So it's a very clever way, actually, um, especially as 95% of our um, consumers are female, allowing them to express themselves.
1: I guess the other 5% of the uh, sons like me that want to get the uh, good marks. Well,
0: you're a good son.
1: Thank you. You hear that, mum? Anyway, um, Did your mom listen to the someone podcast? has to say that. God knows. which <laughs> um, she probably does. Yeah, she probably tells me not to swear. Anyway, you know, talking of marketplace founders, actually, slightly different. But David Buttress from Just Eat told us that, you know, when he first started um, that company, the first takeaway shop, he still remembers that the guy with the takeaway shop was the first people to actually say, yeah, all right, we'll go on your platform, etc. And he's still friends with them. He goes to the cricket with them, etc. You know, Graham Hobson, the founder of Photobox, still remember his first order that first customer two pounds seventy is still a customer today 17 years on now. Do you have any of those? Do you have you know any stories where your first customers or your first few customers are still customers? Did you get to know them? Because obviously these are actually creative business people themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I created Holly and Co. actually. The small businesses that joined, I always remember we had 199 small businesses on day of launch. And I was the person who um, was there to help them understand that this is what they wanted to do. And I used to have a whiteboard and you know, write write these things down and cross them off and I would say that half of them I still know today. So much so, I would say that um, some of the very, very first sellers are dear, dear friends of mine. And also that they are the first um, advocates of Holly & Co. They're who I mentor. Um, I only had someone in the other day who, as Not On The High Street was growing, I made sure that as the company was just doing incredibly well, and I would make sure that those small businesses, those first ones that I brought on, would, would come and see me each year. And each year, it was an amazing journey. You would watch them um, come from both of them having to, uh, other jobs, doing it in their kitchen table. The next year, one of them had quit. They've taken that painting to the garden shed quite a nice garden shed. The following year, both of them had quit. They now have a shed, but now a warehouse. They've got three members of staff. And I literally would watch over eight years, people come to me, The um, what I call the mudly wiggle, my dog's bottom when he's happy. The mudly wiggle would happen. So these small businesses would come in they had much more to lose because these guys were now going from a few thousand to 10 to 100 to half a million, a million. So I was watching this growth very, very quickly. And it was uh, the most unique experience of my life because I got to have outside of my 25 meetings and and growing a business and, and all the corporate stuff that goes along with it. I got to see small businesses and their heartbeat. And so... Always there would be tears in every single meeting on both sides, how proud I was of them and how difficult or how scared they were, or that they were able to take their daughter and move her to a dyslexic school because of this. You know, you weren't talking about they got to get a bigger house. These were fundamental life moments. They got to go on their first family holiday. And, you know, those were hours for me, were the most important hours. I really understood what we were doing. And so when two weeks ago that same company came to me and asked for mentorship and I offer a program of it and I'm going to get to work with them again. You know, they've now had the same amount of time, 12 years Of doing this. And I'm very well versed what happens once you've done 10 years and 12 years of doing it and how things can go wrong. And sometimes you need a cheerleader or someone who's done it before to say, okay, let's unpick this. Where did it start to go wrong? Or where did it start to go so right that you lost your your purpose? And so there we were again in tears. I've got the table that Not On The High Street was founded on as my table in Holly & Co. And we were sitting at the same table so many years later. And it was just a a real moment. There's an
1: interesting dynamic with you wanting to help small businesses, which totally makes sense in the Not On The High Street vibe. That's what you've always done, of course, like support and build small businesses within your platform. But... The interesting side to it that I, I'm considering is is you are clearly way too ambitious to have a small business. It doesn't sound like at any point not on the high street was supposed to be a lifestyle business, something that was, you just seem like this, you want to be an adult. So therefore you want to fast track all that growth, that hyper growth. But actually, of course, as you probably know way more than either of us do, some small businesses really do want to be lifestyle. They want enough to support their family. They don't have the same ambitions as you. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself as a mentor now struggling to get the right advice? the right people without your ambitious Holly hat on?
0: I'm just... No, I feel the opposite, actually. I feel really well-versed in both... You know, Not on the High Street was a volume game. It was taking a small percentage out of every sale. It couldn't be small by its very nature. We knew what we were almost taking on. There was no such thing as crowdfunding, okay? There was no such thing as smartphones. This is the era that we were in. We had to raise money. We owed it to ourselves and to the small business community that was now starting to risk things because they were in the bubble of Not on the High Street. So we had a journey that was almost preset in a way, and that we followed. When I look at that journey and follow it, and I'm very much in it, outside of that, when I'm now growing Holly & Co., I realise that there is this other side to it. So am I looking for Holly & Co. to become an empire? No, I'm not. Am I very, very ambitious? Yes, I am. Do I understand that actually you can be ambitious and have this thing called amplification, which is... Be smart and amplify yourself and you don't have to necessarily grow the corporate structure of your company if you get into the right Nemo flow, you know, that that, that smooth space. I also recognise that, and what we've coined the phrase, the good life companies at Holly & Co, that the balance between your health and your family and your happiness with your profits and growth it's a very, very important one.
1: You're familiar with the Japanese term ikigai?
0: I'm um, I we sell the book in Holly and Co. Yeah. I'm I read it. I've read it back to back. Everyone got it at Christmas this year.
1: Well, we know what we're getting from Holly for Christmas yeah. this year, don't we?
0: <laughs> it's very much ikigai. It's about your full self. And that is what I'm trying to do every day myself. We absolutely preach at Holly and Co. And if you are highly ambitious, phenomenally fantastic, but I ask you to what end? what is your destination let's talk about that up front so that you can you can actually create your business to meet those ambitions but a lot of the companies the majority Practically all the companies I work with are good life companies where they've got the head screwed on, that this is about their kids maybe coming to work for them because our education system is not bringing up our children to understand what the future is going to be like. Mm. It's about being their full creative self and that they know that money, you could take £10,000 off your paycheck if you were creatively fulfilled and be happier. So I'm very much in that space, which is I understand what ambition is. I understand what that journey is. And I also understand what good life companies are. So which one are you? And then I'm mostly working with these companies that have the full the full picture. So before
1: we move on to um, talk a bit more about that, you have built this company over 13 years. You've taken venture capital funding during... I mean, during the period of the recession, for sure. So 2007, 2008, you must be insanely resilient just based on putting all those words in a sentence together. The thing that we find from when we get feedback from our listeners i think that's really valuable to people listening a lot of them are young entrepreneurs a lot of them are actually people who've run businesses for many years already is understanding some of the realities of the hard times so you know not everyone's story is just one great big rocket ship and even if they are there's lots of downturns Mm -hmm. can you share some insightful and honest shares about what it was like in some of the tougher times you know what were the tougher times and how did you handle them with your business partner
0: as a mother, some of the very tough times was I always remember at three o'clock in the morning. Sophie's children were um, older than my, uh, my Harry. I missed his first steps. I missed his first words. Um, I missed everything. All the firsts I missed. And as his first a,
1: words were not on the high street, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of good. course it
0: was. Yeah, uh, one basket. Um, <laughs> it was. It was. Um, it was a really tough moment. I was, you know, I was twenty eight when I had Harry. I was young, and I'd always, as I shared, wanted to be a mother. So was I putting not on the high street my second baby in front of my first? And sort of, yes, I was, because this one, this one didn't work without me. But it was very, very tough. I always remember this evening just literally sobbing. And Sophie saying, you know what, it's going to be OK, because when he's older, you hopefully will be so much further on in not on the high street, whereas hers were older already. And so that was very, very tough. And one of the things I've learned is that guilt is a completely wasted energy and it's all about quality over quantity of time um, as a parent and my son is now 13 just launched his own business that's how we bond he doesn't want to go to uni he can't think of anything nicer than me and him teaming up together and he's a phenomenal kid so and I might hire him I told him you know there's Serious stuff you're going to have to get through to be hired. But I actually can't wait to work with my son. Now, that is very, very unique for me. So, all that guilt that I had at the beginning really was wasted energy.
1: Maybe Sophie was right.
0: Oh, she was 100 oh, She was always right. She was always right. Was a wonderful woman. Another thing that I would say was you know, we ran out of money a few times, and it was some of the most stressful periods of my life. Raising money the only way we had. At that point in time, which was VCs, banks didn't understand entrepreneurship. As I said, there were none of these sort of um, supplementary options that we could have, or, or even the word entrepreneur. You know, there weren't. You didn't network with entrepreneurs at this point, and so it was a, a really, really tough and. Whenever you were raising money, your eyes were off the ball. The business would always tank at that point in time. And I never quite understood why. I always thought it was seasons, you know, that we had picked. You come through Christmas as a retailer and you're thinking, right, we're going to go and raise some money. And then it normally takes longer than you think and you hit the summer periods and things go, you know, so you're like, no, 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 just don't pay attention to what's happening now. Pay attention to what was happening earlier. But now I reflect on that and, you know, you've got all this responsibility of people and and things is um, you are the Duracell battery of your business. And actually you can make something work, however big it is or not. Now, I never really understood that because I thought it was seasonal. And now I think back to it. It was because, you know, you aren't there just to say, no, the hair grows to the left, not the right Mm -hmm. new person or actually person who's really, really experienced. But that's just what a mum knows about her business. And I now look back at that. And I think that is something that I really impart as a lesson that you never underestimate that founder's ability, as I said, the Duracell battery of the business, it is the thing that just keeps it going.
1: On that topic, perfect segue. So we've now taken the Duracell battery out of that business. So how are you still involved with Not on the High Street?
0: I'm its greatest ambassador. My title is chief inspirator. I picked it. Are you the chairwoman? Um, I'm not the chairwoman, no. I've, I've resigned from that part of the business because... For me, it was the right period of time to bring in a CEO who was going to do the next stretch of growth. And I knew that I had more that I had to do personally. And so I'm in the offices three, four times a week. I'm working very closely with everybody. I wake up thinking about it. It's my first born. so now a (laughs) 35,000
1: square foot space in Chiswick. Richmond, In Richmond. Richmond. And
0: yes, I, I called it Silicon upon Thames. Um, and so, yes, we have these beautifully big offices, 250 people, a board, you know, the whole thing. It was time, though, for me to be its greatest cheerleader, give it founder medicine which is sometimes greatly received sometimes not but always respected but it was time for the kid to go to uni and find its own way and I just sit there as its greatest cheerleader and a supporter and parent as I said very very involved in the business too much so sometimes because um, I'm slight control freak but it was time to do do something more
1: Listening to some of the words and ways that you say things, you seem very reflective and spiritual. Is that correct?
0: Very, yes, it is. Yeah? It's not something that um, maybe the She-Man Holly, which I was becoming, would have ever spoken about. Um, It is the Holly that grew up and almost finding myself again. I feel that um, I've got a lot of lessons to share and I've got a lot of time to listen I'm planning on supporting small businesses and doing what I can until I'm 90. So I'm not in a hurry anymore, really. I mean, I'm ambitious. I'm ambitious to put things in place to help people have a better, good life.
1: So the hurricanes just turn to strong winds?
0: Yeah, it maybe hurricanes um, turn to more other people, mm. not myself. It's not about my hurricane. It's about a hurricane that is good for other people. So almost if you think what Jamie has done to food, whether it's the food industry or farmers or the way that we eat today, he's a great inspiration for me because if I can do that in terms of small business, help industry, help us consume better, help small businesses thrive, I feel that that's now my calling, actually. I don't have a choice. And I I said never again. I mean, I really meant it as well. So... The way I look at that now is it isn't again. It's just the same path. I've continued over now 13, 14 years, but it's now onto sort of pastures new.
1: The perfect antithesis to being a hurricane, of course, is taking a moment to stop and being mindful. And um, one of our sponsors is calm.com. Do you meditate? Is that something that you've learned to do more recently? I
0: have a meditation platform built in my bedroom. Um, So I absolutely do. Um, No half measures? No, of course. And it's really nicely styled as well. Um, I don't sit on it enough. I bought a beautiful blanket for it recently. I absolutely do. I walk a lot. I take time out. All my best comes from when I'm allowed to think. And I understand that my brain needs to be calm sometimes. And so, yeah, I've got into that place. So it's a very, very important measure for me, actually. I know that I've got so much inside of me that normally I can't get out. And so actually being calm has allowed me to express myself better.
1: And, you know, the, the premise of... Holly & Co. and I guess your newfound purpose and certainly the stuff that you seem to really enjoy is giving back and is helping smaller businesses thrive. Obviously, given your credibility and the awesome business you've built, you have that respectable tone and ability to share those insights. So putting you on the spot, can you please share some really meaningful advice and tips for people that might be starting new businesses and listening to this and inspired by your words?
0: Yeah. One of them is like, there's never the right time. So today you can start your business. There you go. That's permission. It's just done. You started. That's as simple as it is to start a business. And I think that we put such pressure on ourselves for perfect. We obviously read all the books. We understand we're not meant to be perfect, etc. Don't launch, deploy, etc. all these sort of things. Um, no but, checkout, whatever. No, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yes, don't do that. Um, uh, do beta. But... Um, It's that understanding that there's never a good time. So it is better to get out there than be perfect. And that's a problem for most people um, because once you're out there, you feel it's a reflection on yourself. So, of course, you do not want to mess up. That would be one thing. Another thing would be hunger, hunger in yourself and just keep going and look at your business like a child would you ever give up on it no you wouldn't are they going to scream all night maybe for months on end yes they are Accept it and also employ hunger. You can't necessarily afford awesome, awesome talent right at the beginning unless you know them as family. Definitely get them in if you can work with them and then you don't have to fire them. But this def- is some
1: very dangerous advice. <laughs> yeah, de- yeah. Well,
0: you know, I, I've employed nearly every single family member. So yeah, um, definitely hire hunger because actually, hunger turns into talent. Ultimately, you know, hunger is never lazy. Hunger just gives you every single hour on end. Hunger supports you. It turns up and it can't stop learning. So actually, when I think back to um, everybody that's at Holly & Co today and all uh, the beginning lot that was not in the high street, It was just this insane hunger. And the third thing probably would be trusting your gut. You know, very much as you grow in your business, um, certainly your insecurities, the imposter syndrome that you feel right at the beginning, you feel everyone knows better. Now I look back, that is not the case. From the beginning to all the way through, when you're hiring Amazons and Betfairs and things like that, you need to understand that that is... Your magic touch, your internal compass will be right. And now I look at every decision that I went against my internal compass, it always ended up that I was right. I wanted to scream that at certain points in time, but you can't do that. But nowadays, that's what I very much talk to small businesses about.
1: Just wrapping up, because obviously I'm conscious of your time more than our listeners who will get all the value from you sharing, you set up this new life now really as a mentor. Is that born out of experience of having mentors or a lack of experience having mentors that you wish you'd have had building Not On The High Street?
0: We do mentor at Holly & Co, but ultimately... Polly and Co. is a very immersive brand. So lots of exciting things coming up. And it's mentorship, hopefully, in this in the sort of broadest sense, I want to try and help as many people, and I'm just one person. So my time will be stretched, but through different mediums, um which we're very excited about. But no, i I always felt about mentorship. i I had my dad, I mean, he won't speak much, never says anything positive, but he's been a fantastic mentor um through through my career. But I feel with mentorship, it's about the period of time that you're in. If running a business is like a roller coaster and it's a small business, definitely, and the winds can change in 24 hours, a mentor that was fantastic for that first stage, you know, you quickly grow out of something and actually you need somebody else. So I think you're very lucky if you can find someone that can have the whole journey. I had uh, my first two investors actually are dear friends of mine and they've stuck with me forever and they are mentors Um, my father's mental but other people have come in and out of my life and I've always felt you only have yourself and someone reflected that I must be a good self coach and I think maybe I am that uh, you can only rely on the person looking at you in the mirror
1: okay so final final question before you go tell us what the next 10 years looks like for Holly obviously growing Holly and co what else
0: Finding amazing glasses that are really eccentric so that I can just sort of become that sort of crazy person that someone thinks is crazy and actually then she can actually speak. I, I'd love
2: friends with Dame Edna. Oh, sorted. yeah, maybe,
0: maybe, yeah.
2: surprised you can't get those on Not On The High Street. Yeah, <laughs> well, you, yeah, you we need to describe something so uh, much
0: Yeah, the next 10 years is about really changing the rule books for small business. If there was one business book that everyone read, I'd like to write the new one. And I'm very, very excited about what that means for our future generations how maybe I can influence education, looking at how small businesses generally regard themselves. Um, I'd like them all to have a mudly wiggle because um, they're pretty awesome and they're going to be our future. And I'd also like to make sure that I maintain this sort of smelling the roses philosophy in my life. I've spent so much time being in a hurry. Um, I'm really excited to um, maybe just witness what change that we can make.
1: I mean, the good news for you is that the direct-to-consumer small-brand area is the fastest-growing area of retail globally. So, yeah, fortunately, more and more of M&A are literally a catalyst in the very thing I just you can happened help to, to come accelerate. Across it, yeah, who yeah, knows? Yeah. So, fortunately for you, I think there's a very bright future in accelerating some of your advice into as many businesses as possible. So. On that very positive note, uh, we hope that your next 10 years dreams come true and that, you you know, you get to finish the big book. Thank you very much to Holly Tucker.
0: Thank you. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do.
2: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks.
1: Told by leading names in sport and beyond.
2: Who know what it takes to get to the very top.
1: There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow.
2: Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.
1: Next week on Secret Leaders.
2: So I gave him a ring and I said, can I buy fabric from you? He said, he can't buy from me. You can go and see my agent. Went to see the agent. And I said, who makes the best shirts in the world? And he said there was a little factory down in Clacton in, in Essex. And he makes the best shirts in the world. He makes bespoke, made-to-measure shirts for Turnbull and Asker and Harvey and Hudson, which are two of the shops on German Street. So off I went. I, I got in my Morris Minor with a big hole in the floor. And I drove from Lancashire down to Clacton with some fabric in the back. So we make some shirts.
1: On a mission to be the world's very best shirt maker, Nick Wheeler, or to use his full name, Nick Charles Tyrrett Wheeler, of, of course, Charles Tyrrett Shirts, His journey is quite literally one of rags to riches. He shares his near-death experiences with bankruptcy and how he's managed to build an empire that's fast-growing throughout Europe and America for the last 30 years without raising a single penny of investment. If you're looking for inspiring words about staying away from other people's cash and building your vision, your way, Nick is your man. So tune in or you'll miss out. See you then.
2: Don't miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes or Spotify. Just search for Secret Leaders. You can also check out our website at secretleaders.com for show notes and behind the scenes of each interview.
1: Hi, I'm Simon LaFosse, the founder of LaFosse Associates. We're a young, high growth and co-owned business and we're experts in attracting talent. If you want to build a great team or you just want advice, please get in touch. We run free seminars and we'd love to see you there. Thanks for your time.
2: This episode was hosted by Dan Murray, produced by me, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton at Lower Street Media. And if you're hearing this, that's probably thanks to Jennifer Osman, our marketing whiz from
1: Canada.